European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 40, Issue 25, Focus Issue, Hypertension, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Hypertension, an undertreated known risk factor, revisited. Initially, hypertension was considered essential. In the German literature, Erfordernis Blutdruck, i.e. necessary to pertuse vital organs in those with cardiovascular disease. In the 1930s, Paul Dudley White, the Braunwald of the day, famously said, Hypertension may be an important compensatory mechanism that should not be tampered with, even if it was certain that we could control it. As such, Franklin D. Roosevelt's hypertension was meticulously observed, but left untreated until his death due to a cerebral hemorrhage on April 13, 1945. Indeed, effective hypertensives were unavailable at the time. Today, we have all means available, including hypertensive drugs, and for selected patients, interventions using stents and renal nerve ablation. However, although raised blood pressure is widely known as being the largest contributor to mortality and disease burden worldwide, and the effectiveness of blood pressure lowering is widely known, not all hypertensives are aware of it, and many are suboptimally treated, particularly when the novel target values of recent guidelines are considered. In their fast-track contribution entitled May Measurement Month 2018, a pragmatic global screening campaign to raise awareness of blood pressure by the International Society of Hypertension, Neil Poulter and colleagues from the Imperial College London in the United Kingdom report the results of their May Measurement Month global campaign. Until 2018, 1,504,963 adults from 89 countries participated and received three blood pressure measurements. Hypertension was defined as blood pressure greater than or equal to 140 over 90 millimetres of mercury or taking hypertensive medication. After multiple imputations, 33% had hypertension, of whom 60% were aware of it and 55% were taking hypertensives. Of those on medication, 60% were controlled, and of all hypertensives, only 33% were controlled. We detected 224,285 individuals with untreated hypertension, and 111,214 individuals with inadequately treated, greater than or equal to 140 over 90 millimetres of mercury, hypertension. Thus, this campaign raising awareness of hypertension remains an unmet need even today. These devastating findings are put into context in an editorial by Ross Felmond from the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg, Canada. Although after the seminal trial of Edward Fries, blood pressure control was widely adopted in the late 70s and 80s, this strategy remained controversial in the elderly. In their article, Control of Blood Pressure and a risk of mortality in a cohort of older adults, the Berlin Initiative study, Antonios Duros and colleagues from the McGill University Faculty of Medicine in Montreal, Canada, assesses whether blood pressure values below 140 over 90 millimetres of mercury during hypertensive treatment are associated with a decreased all-cause mortality in 1,628 adults greater than or equal to 70 years, recruited into the Berlin Initiative study. Compared with non-normalised blood pressure, normalised blood pressure was associated with an increased risk of all-cause mortality with a hazard ratio of 1.26. In 
Increased risks were observed in patients greater than or equal to 80 years, hazard ratio 1.40. And in those with previous cardiovascular events, hazard ratio 1.61, but not in those aged 70 to 79 years, hazard ratio of 0.83, or without previous cardiovascular events, hazard ratio 1.16. Thus, blood pressure below 140 over 90 millimetres of mercury during hypertensive treatment may be associated with an increased risk of mortality in octogenarians or elderly patients with previous cardiovascular events. These provocative findings are further discussed in an informative editorial by Michael Bohm from the Uniklinikum des Saarlandes in Homburg, Germany. Studies have shown a non-linear relationship between systolic and diastolic blood pressure and outcomes, with increased risk observed in both low and high blood pressure levels. In their article, Cardiovascular Outcomes and Achieved Blood Pressure in Patients with and Without Diabetes at High Cardiovascular Risk, Michael Baum and colleagues from the Uniklinikum des Saarlandes in Homburg, Germany, hypothesized that such a blood pressure risk association may differ in individuals, 11,487 with and 19,450 without diabetes at high cardiovascular risk were followed for 56 months. Patients in on-target had been randomized to Remipril 10 mg daily, Telmisartan 80 mg daily or a combination of both. Patients in Transcend were ACE intolerant and randomized to Telmisartan 80 mg daily or matching placebo. In diabetics, event rates were higher across the whole spectrum of blood pressure compared to non-diabetics. Systolic blood pressure greater than or equal to 160 millimeters of mercury was associated with increased events with a hazard ratio of 2.31. Systolic blood pressure below 120 millimeters of mercury was associated with increased events of diabetics with a hazard ratio of 1.53 and for cardiovascular and all-cause death in all patients. Diastolic blood pressure greater than or equal to 90 millimeters of mercury was associated with increased events in diabetics with a hazard ratio of 2.32. In-trial diastolic blood pressure below 70 millimeters of mercury was associated with increased events in all patients and also for all other endpoints except stroke. Thus, as expected, high on-treatment blood pressure is associated with worse cardiovascular outcomes, but also low blood pressure with diabetics having consistently higher risks, indicating that achieving optimal blood pressure goals is most impactful in this group, as outlined in a thoughtful editorial by Jahawa Mehta from the University of Arkansas in Little Rock, Arkansas, USA. The data favours guidelines taking lower blood pressure boundaries into consideration, in particular in diabetics. Blood pressure and pulse wave velocity is particularly of concern in patients with Marfan syndrome, as the latter is associated with vascular dilatation. The life expectancy of Marfan patients has improved thanks to early detection of aortic dilation, medical management and prophylactic aortic root surgery, if indicated. Currently, international clinical guidelines support the use of aortic root diameter as a predictor of complications. However, other imaging markers are needed to improve risk stratification. In their article, Proximal Aortic Longitudinal Strain Predicts Aortic Root Dilation Rate and Aortic Events in Marfan Syndrome, Gisela Tecido-Tura and colleagues from the Val Hebron Institute Recerca in Barcelona, Spain, 
investigated whether proximal aortic longitudinal and circumferential strain and distensibility assessed by cardiac magnetic resonance MRI would predict the aortic root dilation rate and events in 117 such patients over 86 months. The annual growth rate of aortic root diameter was 0.62 mm per year. Once corrected for baseline clinical demographic characteristics and aortic root diameter, proximal aorta longitudinal strain, but not circumferential strain and distensibility, was an independent predictor of diameter growth and aortic events. These clinical important results are further explored in an editorial by Christoph Nierbeer from the Royal Brompton Hospital in London, United Kingdom. The issue also contains a review entitled Deep Learning for Cardiovascular Medicine, a Practical Primer by Chiakrit, Kritanawong and colleagues from the Icahn School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York, USA. Deep learning is a branch of machine learning showing increasing promise in medicine to assist in data classification, novel disease phenotyping and complex decision making. Deep learning is a form of machine learning typically implemented via multi-layered neural networks. Deep learning has accelerated by recent advances in computer hardware and algorithms and is increasingly applied in e-commerce, finance and voice and image recognition to learn and classify complex data sets. Strengths of deep learning include the ability to automate medical image interpretation, enhance clinical decision making, identify novel phenotypes and select better treatment pathways in complex diseases. Deep learning may well be suited to capture hemodynamic and electrophysiological indices on a continuous basis by wearable devices, as well as image segmentation in cardiac imaging. However, deep learning also has significant weaknesses, including difficulty interpreting its models, its need for extensive adjudicated data in training, lack of standardization in design, lack of data efficiency in training, limited applicability to clinical trials and other factors. Thus, the optimal clinical application of deep learning requires careful formulation of solvable problems, selection of most appropriate deep learning algorithms and data, balanced interpretation of results, and opportunities for this exciting new area. In a special article entitled Standardized Classification and Framework for Reporting, Interpreting, and Analyzing Medication Non-Adherence in Cardiovascular Clinical Trials, a consensus report from the Non-Adherence Academic Research Consortium, NARC. Marco Valgimili from the University of Bern in Switzerland and colleagues note that non-adherence has been well recognized for years to be a common issue that significantly impacts clinical trials and healthcare costs. Medication adherence is remarkably low even in the controlled environments of clinical trials where it has potentially complex major implications. Collection of non-adherence data diverge markedly among cardiovascular randomized trials and, even where collected, is rarely incorporated in the statistical analysis to test the consistency of the primary endpoints. The imprecision introduced by the inconsistent assessment of non-adherence in clinical trials might confound the estimate of the calculated efficacy of the study drug. Hence, clinical trials may not accurately answer the scientific question posed by regulators who seek an accurate estimate of the true efficacy and safety of a treatment, or questions posed by payers who want a reliable estimate of the effectiveness of treatment in the marketplace after approval. Finally, this issue contains discussion forum contributions. In a first contribution, how should treated hypertensive patients with systolic blood pressure below 120 millimeters mercury be managed? 
Wilson Nadros Jr. and colleagues from the State University of Campinas in Campinas, Sao Paulo, Brazil, comment on the recently published 2018 ESC-ESH Guidelines for the Management of Arterial Hypertension. Dr. Richard Cohns and colleagues from the Cardiometabolic Research Institute in Houston, Texas, also discussed the guidelines in their contribution entitled Concerning the Degradation of Beta-Blocker Use in the 2018 ESC-ESH Hypertension Guidelines. A third contribution discussing these guidelines is put forth by Carl George Heusler and colleagues from the Universistad Klinikum in Wolfsburg, Germany. This contribution is responded to by Giuseppe Mancia and colleagues from the Milano Bicocca University in Italy. In a final discussion forum, contributions entitled Low on-treatment diastolic blood pressure is not independently associated with increased cardiovascular risk, an analysis of the SPRINT trial. Marcia Sinski and colleagues from the Warszawski Universitet de Medicinsi in Poland comment on the recently published manuscript entitled Achieved Diastolic Blood Pressure and Pulse Pressure at Target Systolic Blood Pressure, 120 to 140 millimeters of mercury and cardiovascular outcomes in high-risk patients. Results from on-target and transcend trials by Michael Baum and colleagues from the Uniklinikum de Saarlandes in Homburg, Germany. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.